I'll add my greeting to Scott's. Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be together here in God's house, singing his praises and hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 3. Just a few verses here from Exodus 3. We'll read verses 1 through 6. Exodus 3, 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And our New Testament reading and our sermon text is Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. And as we'll see here, our Lord Jesus takes up uh, Exodus 3, 6 and his argument with the Sadducees. Um, so let's read this now, Matthew twenty-two, twenty-three through 33. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married. And having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection... They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray now and ask him to bless it to us. O God, our Father, thank you that you have revealed grace upon grace, grace and truth in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for our Savior and for uh, the, the, the full and free salvation you've given us in him. As we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would apply it to our hearts and apply Christ to our hearts. 
May we not hear the words of a mere man, but may we hear the very word of God. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Matthew 22, where we've been now for a couple of weeks, looks like Jesus against the world. It's Christ, and it's everyone else against Christ. It's this last desperate attempt of the Jewish religious authorities to sabotage our Lord Jesus, to, to, to uh, trip him up, make him say something really, really uh, uh, dumb so that they can trap him in his words, he'll lose his popularity, and then they can go after him and destroy him. And their hatred of him as they, as they mount this final attack on Jesus to try to bring him down uh, binds together an unlikely alliance. We have already seen the Pharisees and the Herodians, and now this morning we see the Sadducees as well, all joining forces to take Jesus down. Last week we saw the Pharisees with the first, uh, the first line of attack, if you will, against our Lord Jesus Christ. They send their disciples, their, their best students, um, uh, the little junior Pharisees who are their top, top students, they send them to Jesus with the Herodians to try to get Jesus embroiled in this debate about paying taxes to Caesar. And Jesus, uh, Jesus responds in such a way that their plan backfires and he shows them to be the hypocrites that they are and he shows his perfect godliness and righteousness and, and holiness and truth and calls them to renewed obedience and devotion to God. And embarrassed and stunned, they retreat. But then... The Sadducees take their turn. Uh, it's the Sadducees we see taking the center stage in the attack against our Lord Jesus in the text today, Matthew 22, 23 through 33. The Sadducees are, are the wealthy elites of Jewish society of the time. Uh, they were the priests. They were the aristocrats. Um, the historian Josephus says that they were less popular among the common people than the Pharisees because that's the way it usually is with the elites. Um, uh, these, these guys uh, uh, wielded more political power than the Pharisees and supported the Romans and, and, and their government because it was a way for themselves to get ahead. Um, so Jesus has silenced the, the Pharisees, the junior Pharisees. Now, can he silence, can he rebuff the attack of the, um, uh, the Sadducees, this powerful ruling class of, of Jews? Um, they come at Jesus with this plan. They're not throwing him a curveball like the Pharisees did. They're fastball down the middle. This is their big issue, a resurrection. They're trying to trap Jesus in, in, in what he believes about the resurrection. Uh, we're told, as, as Matthew begins here, that they don't believe in the resurrection, not just the idea of resurrection, but the resurrection of the dead physically at the last day. Um, Pharisees said yes, that happens, that will happen. The Sadducees, Sadducees said, no, resurrection is crazy talk. Uh, it's absurd. It's an impossibility. And as they come at our Lord Jesus Christ, what they're trying to do is to make the resurrection look like an absurd impossibility. Um, a ridiculous concept that is utterly inconsistent and unlivable. Uh, they, they, they point Christ, they point us to this Old Testament law 
that said that if a man died and uh, left his wife childless, then his brother should marry his wife and raise up an heir on his behalf, carry on the family inheritance. It's designed to, to keep the family inheritance in the family in the promised land. We see the way this plays out in the book of Ruth, for example. Uh, a redeemer, Boaz, marries the widow Ruth. Um, by the time of, of, of our Lord Jesus' day, this practice wasn't as common if practiced at all. Um, but the Sadducees go, they get this, this law about marriage, and they bring it into the, the present day, and they tell their story. There's this guy. And obviously, the way they're telling this story, they're, they're making this whole thing up. But there's this guy, uh, one of seven brothers. He marries this girl, uh, and he dies. No children. So her, the brother marries the widow, and then no children. And then the next brother, and on and on, seven brothers. And, and they all die, and uh, child, childless, and then finally the woman dies. When they're all raised from the dead, Jesus, if you believe this crazy idea of resurrection, they're all raised from the dead. Who's going to be married to this woman? Which of the seven brothers? They're, they're, they're playing the crowd. There's a crowd around watching, listening. These, the Sadducees are trying to make the resurrection look silly, ridiculous, and crazy. Uh, a joke. Uh, it just won't work. won't make any sense. Their mockery here that we see of the resurrection um, was very fitting for their own day. I think sometimes we think, well, back then, people were more gullible about supernatural things. Um, but the Sadducees were, were very skeptical about the resurrection, and they fit right in with the Roman culture, the Greek and Roman culture around them. Um, we see this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, the church in Corinth had people in it who were saying, uh, resurrection is crazy talk. Um, Paul writes... In 1 Corinthians 15.35, he says, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Some of the folks in the Corinthian church could not imagine a body being raised up again to life after it had died. When you die, your body falls apart. It, it decomposes dust to dust. It's crazy to think that, that all the particles will be brought back together in the resurrection at the last day. Um, Their view sounds very current. It fits right in with what the dominant view in our culture is. Resurrection, that's crazy. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that after you die, thousands of years from now, your body is going to be raised up again? That's well, crazy to think that way. We get the data, right? We look around. People die, but we don't see resurrection happening. It's crazy to think. It's crazy to think that um, resurrection is, is a reality. It's a, it's a baseless wish dream and an absurdity. And loved ones, I think we should be honest that uh, our, the doubts uh, of our culture can often affect our faith as well. We say Sunday by Sunday, as we recite the creeds, even as we did this morning, I look for the resurrection of the dead. Right? That's the confession of our faith. Uh, I expect the resurrection of the dead. Um, and, yet, uh, and, and yet we wrestle with doubts about these things as well. It's easy to drift into these doubts because death looks so certain. Death looks so obvious and, and not absurd. It looks like a, a concrete reality. 
and the wish for resurrection seems like just a pipe dream in comparison. But Jesus' loved ones, as he responds to the Sadducees, and as he speaks to them, he also is speaking to us. He tells us that the resurrection is not an absurd impossibility, but a certainty, an absolute certainty. And he bases this in who God is and the nature of God's covenant with us. I want to look at Jesus' response now together um, as he shows us that the resurrection is indeed an absolute certainty um, that we can rest our faith on. He levels at the Sadducees two charges. Number one, he says, um, you're wrong. Uh, You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Um, He then unpacks each of those. He starts with the power of God. They think it's absurd. It's impossible for God to raise the dead. And Jesus' counterclaim to them is that it is absurd and impossible and inconsistent for them not to believe that God would raise the dead. The Sadducees have a view of God that is is small and shrunken. Um, They can't imagine a God who would recreate a world that was better than this one. Uh, They they, they, uh, can't imagine that God would be able to think of a way to get out of the quandary that they raised in their their, uh, argument with Jesus. Uh, That that God would somehow be stumped by what to do in this scenario with uh, seven brothers who would all have one wife. That's not too hard for God to work that out. Uh, they, they can't imagine that their view of God is so small and their view of the kingdom of God, what that means is so small that it hasn't crossed their minds. That after the resurrection of the dead, the whole world will be changed, made new. They think, well, it'll just be like this one. Um, but no, it's going to be a new creation and a new kingdom. And Jesus explains it to them. He says, when you're raised from the dead, you won't be married to anyone anymore. Uh, There's no marriage in the kingdom of heaven, the the consummated kingdom of heaven. Because the the creation, that's the new creation that's coming is not just this world recycled or refurbished and and, and made the way it always was. Uh, The the kingdom that's coming, the, the new creation that's coming is a transformed world. Jesus says it's going to be a glorified world, a changed world, and all of human life will be transformed in that resurrection world. We won't cry anymore, won't weep anymore, won't sin anymore, we won't die anymore, and we won't marry anymore. If you have a good marriage, this might be something that makes you a little bit uh, sad to hear. Um, No marriage in heaven. Um, why would I want to go somewhere without my, where, where I couldn't be married to my wife? Um, why would God give us this wonderful gift of friendship and love and marriage only to take it away in eternity? Well, because marriage is not ultimately about marriage, is it? Um, marriage is about the relationship between God and his people, Christ and his church. Ephesians 5 speaks to this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That's what Paul says about marriage. Marriage is a picture, part of this temporary creation, but a picture of something better beyond it. Um, Piper has a, a little book on marriage called This Momentary Marriage. And the subtitle, I think, is, is very good. He calls it a, a parable of permanence. But married love till death do us part. It's supposed to be uh, a picture, a parable of the permanent love, the steadfast love uh, that is forever and ever that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, when the kingdom of God comes in all its glory and richness and fullness and splendor, it will, it will give us something so much better than the best of earthly marriages. Not only with God, but also with each other. Sinless friendship as we are the bride of Christ together. You can think of it like this. When, um, uh, when, when, when someone is separated from the person they love and they, they've got a picture and they open that wallet or whatever, and they look at the picture of that person they love because they're separated from them, they want to be with them. But once they're together again, you're not taking out the picture and looking at the picture. You're just embracing the one you love. And so it is with marriage. Marriage is the picture of what's coming. And we won't miss it when we're in glory with our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Sadducees have no concept of this. Can't imagine the power of God which will transform this world into the new creation and transform our bodies to be like Christ's body and bring fulfillment to, uh, to what the picture of marriage is meant to be. And so Jesus says to them, the, 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 this charge that he explains to them, that they do not understand the power of God. Think, think through it, loved ones. The power of God. What is too hard for God? Is raising the dead too hard for him? Is it too hard for him when he was the one who made us in the first place? When he knit us together in our mother's wombs? When he spoke the whole world into existence by a single powerful word? All that we see in creation, every aspect of it, has come from his creative power. Everything. The galaxies, the, the stars, the planets, the, 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 the molecules, the cells, all of life by his power. Music and, and art, it's all flowing from his infinite, powerful creativity. Is it too hard for him to raise the dead? Furthermore, what is death anyway? It's God's curse on sin. It's not this outside force that's more powerful than God. It's the curse that has fallen on us for our sin, and God is completely sovereign over it. It was His Word in Genesis 3 that began the curse of death as the punishment, the just punishment for our sin. And it is His Word in Christ which is going to undo that Word. 
A word of blessing and life, resurrection life. The command of God is all-sufficient, all-powerful to bring resurrection. The Sadducees, however, do not understand this. And Jesus, uh, Jesus' charge at them is not just that they don't intellectually know the power of God, but that they do not know the power of God. They, they don't have any personal experience of the power of God. They have, they have no personal, deep, experiential knowledge of the power of God. And they should. Because what is Jesus doing in His ministry in front of their eyes? It's the power of God every single day. Jesus is healing the blind. He's, he's, he's raising up the lame so they can walk again. He's With a touch, he's, he, 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 uh, he heals the deaf, the mute. A few days just before this, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes out alive. The power of God is right there before their very eyes. The resurrection and the life is right there in front of them. But they don't see, can't see, won't see. They don't know the power of God. They are stuck in the closed circuit of their small-minded unbelief and their petty pride. Christ, the very power of God standing before them, the resurrection and the life standing in front of them, and they don't know it. and They won't accept it. And in just a few short days, it's Tuesday as Jesus is having this discussion with them, in just a few short days, Sunday, our Lord Jesus Christ Himself is going to be raised up from the dead. And the resurrection that He's talking about and that they're debating right here in this chapter in just a few short days will begin as Jesus, the first fruits of the end-time resurrection, will be raised up from the dead, never to die again. The Sadducees are less than a week away from the dawning of resurrection life. But they are completely blind to it. They don't know the power of God. Brothers and sisters, do you know the power of God? Know it up here? Understand? Of course, God has the power to do it, but do you know also in your heart the power of God in our Lord Jesus Christ? He has raised Christ from the dead, the first fruits of the resurrection. Yes, it was several thousand years ago now. But those years don't lessen or change the fact of what happened. That Christ was raised and the resurrection has begun. And the promise of that resurrection is the guarantee of our resurrection. Paul writes about this. 1 Corinthians 15, 49-53 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's a wonderful statement. Just as surely as you bear the image of the man of dust in your body, the effects of the fall and Adam's sin, just as sure as you bear that, you will bear the image of the man of heaven, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood 
cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Do you know the power of God that will raise you from the dead? It's an absolute certainty. Then the second charge that Jesus unpacks against the Sadducees in response to their their question um, is that they don't know the Scriptures. So they don't know the power of God. And the second thing he says, they don't, they don't know the Scriptures. He's not saying they haven't read the Scriptures. They've read the Scriptures all their lives. They've grown up hearing it read. They've read it themselves. Uh, um, the, these are some of the, the religious authorities here he's talking to. They've read the Scriptures, but it is not registered with them. It has not gotten down and, and you know, got a hold of them. And, and uh, their hearts have not been shaped by the Word of God. They think and they feel and they live and they talk, Jesus says, like they've never read a word of the Bible. To prove his point, Jesus, um, he, he could have gone to any number of texts here. It's so fascinating the way he uh, responds to them because he could have gone to some really crystal clear passages of Scripture to make his point that you've not read the Scriptures. The Scripture speaks so clearly about resurrection life. Um, he, he could have gone to uh, Isaiah 26, 19, which says, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Well, Jesus, that's a good text. Why didn't you go there? Um, Daniel 12, verse 2, could have gone there. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Another good passage that Jesus does not go to. Or Ezekiel 37, verse 12, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Or Hosea 13, 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? All these wonderful texts. And Jesus could have gone to them, could have laid out the case so clearly for them. But He doesn't. Instead, He goes somewhere. He um, doesn't seem to talk about resurrection at all. It's really quite surprising. Um, What's he doing? Why, did, why, did, why doesn't he go to those passages instead of doing what he does do, which is go to Exodus 3, verse 6, a text which does not seem to have anything to do with the resurrection. It simply says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. One reason might be that the Sadducees, it's, it's thought, didn't treat the uh, prophets, the later prophets of the Old Testament as authoritative as the first five books of, of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and so Jesus is going to part of the Scripture that they treat as more authoritative because it just makes more sense that he'd go there to prove the resurrection instead of going to a book they don't necessarily accept as, as authoritative. Um, but I, that might be part of it, but I think there's more. 
Um, I think more importantly, our Lord Jesus is going to Exodus to make a very fundamental point to them um, that the resurrection is rooted in who God is and what His covenant with His people is, is like. Exodus 3 is one of those passages which sits right at the heart of, of the covenant in the Old Testament, uh, God's relationship with His people. It's, as we read earlier a little bit, it's where God is calling Moses to go to Egypt and bring the people of Israel out of, out of slavery. It's the chapter where God gives Moses His name. I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. What is God doing there? Well, He's saying that He is not a creature, but He's the Creator that he is not in any way defined by the creation and the limits of creation, but he's defined by himself as the infinite, eternal, unchangeable, ase, creator, God. I am who I am. And Jesus is, is saying to deny the resurrection flies in the face of who God himself is. Exodus 3 is also telling us what the covenant is like. Um, When God says, when he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying he's the God who keeps his promises. He's he's the God who makes a promise and then fulfills that promise. He's telling that to Moses in Exodus chapter 3 to, to remind him of his faithfulness in the past, to reassure him of his faithfulness going forward. And the end of that faithfulness. The goal of that faithfulness, loved ones, is to bring every last one of His people into fellowship with Himself. This is what the covenant is. It's it's God bringing His people into fellowship with Himself. It's what the covenant in Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3 is. The covenant of works, the goal of that covenant is eternal life uh, in the presence of God. That's what was lost there uh, in the Garden of Eden. God's goal in the covenant of grace is to bring us to that eternal life in the presence of God again. And so what God is doing in the covenant of grace is, is, is something that is permanent for His people. He's loved us with an everlasting love. Is death going to separate us from that love? Is the Almighty God going to allow something to thwart His purpose for His people? This is why why Jesus is pointing to God's very identity and the nature of the covenant. And then He says, God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. To be in covenant relationship with God and to receive the grace of God cannot mean anything but eternal resurrection life. Do you really think, he's saying, do you really think God would let Abraham just die? That that God would make this covenant with Abraham and then just Abraham dies and that's it? Or with Isaac, he dies, that's it? Jacob dies, that's it? No more relationship with God? No. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is, this, is, this is our Lord's point as He speaks to the Sadducees here. His fundamental point. You don't know the Scriptures. Because if the Scriptures teach anything, they teach this, that God loves and saves His people. Not just 
temporarily until we die. But forever. The Sadducees' doubt of the resurrection betrays their complete ignorance about who God is and what our relationship with God as His people is really, really like. And so they portray it as this absurd impossibility because they don't know these things. They don't recognize these things about God. But loved ones, let us not be drawn into doubt or think that the resurrection is too hard for God or too far away to be true. Um, it must be true because of who God is, because of His power, because of His promises, because of the covenant He's established with us. So when you're tempted to doubt the resurrection, remember who He is. Remember His relationship with you and His love for you and, and, and what He's done in Christ for you. Remember, as you confess the faith that the church has confessed now for almost 2,000 years, as you say, I look, I expect the resurrection of the dead. Remember the power of God and the promises of God, uh, which make this a certainty, an absolute certainty for us. And rest in the fact, loved ones, that your bodily resurrection in Jesus Christ is an absolute certainty. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be those who look for the resurrection of the dead. Help us not to doubt who you are, your covenant with us, your promises to us, your power, but help us to trust all that you have revealed yourself to be and to rest in your promises and to be strengthened in faith as we look for the resurrection. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.